0: Thanks. Hi. Thank you, Jody. Thank you, Carlene. Um, Before I get started, I'd like to um, kind of second that sense of missing uh, the poet Linda Gregg, who we just lost. I'd like to dedicate this reading to her and also to W.S. Merwin, but also to the great curator um, Okwe Nwezar, who we also lost on the same day we lost Merwin, the 15th of March. The Ides of March got them. Um, he was up until last year. Sorry, yeah, so sure. I'm not sure if it was this mic or this mic, oh, uh, yeah. but you know, he was running the house to Konst and Munich was the first African born curator to run the um, Venice Biennale in 2015. He was a legendary figure. He's 55, it's gone too soon, so, you know, we need to pay his dedication forward by, by being good artists and the same with Merwin and Linda Gregg, so, uh, this is in memoriam. And, um really enjoyed meeting all of you. Uh, so I just got um, manuscripts, by the way, and I have a list, I guess at the craft talk tomorrow, I'll have the list of when we could all meet and anybody else who wants to talk with me, feel free to fill out that, that list. Um, I'm really looking forward to meeting all of you. Can you hear me in the back? Yeah, can you hear me? Sort of, a little bit? Yeah. I will speak louder. <laughs> See, you thought I was gonna be all depressing because I'm talking about death, but. I'm a poet. (laughs) To the reader. If you wanna talk to me, you'll send me an email. If you don't know my email, you can Google it. If that's not enough, you can pay a site for all my info and then use Google Maps to find my street. My building's the blue one, but please don't come. I think we've got a good thing going here We both thrive on a type of moving silence, like that sound you hear in static and just know is something more than static. So you lean in and start to feel something tighten and crack, like frightened wings on fire that dwindle down to your lap like a cat. Hi, I'm Rowan. We likely haven't met. And if we have, or have not, I love you. So you wouldn't spend any time in um, Stockholm? I think Stockholm's a really great city. Really underrated in terms of places to go. I wish there was a white wall behind me because sometimes when I read this poem and there's a white wall behind me, I say, well, this is my impression of me being in Stockholm. And then I stand back <laughs> at this <table. laughs> Um, but we're officially in spring now, so I guess I'm going to take this poem out for a walk. I'm just going to read a few poems from the ground, a few poems from heaven, and then I'm going to um, try out some new poems that are, look just like the ones that you guys are sending me. So, you know, we're all in solidarity, right? We're all kind of on the page like this. Stockholm. Spring was the hammer that fell down on Stockholm. Grounded, the gray shattered. Gamlestan greened. The faint sound of the bay, Ritfiarden, rose and fell, rose and fell, like a dog asleep on its back. As pinkish-dreamed demonstrations of place picked up their pieces to put them back together again. This was not all of Sweden, of course. But sea-shouldered, mirroring, to itself it thought to be so. Like a boat in the distance that thinks you are the distance. And not itself, not it. For it is the center of everything. Um, so this is a poem called Proper Names in the Lyrics of Troubadours. I stole that title from an academic essay on troubadours and the Occitan language. Um, You know, you you guys all steal too, it's really important to steal. (laughs) But you should also, for the writers, uh, particularly the poets, you should write um, a poem about your name. Uh, Maybe somebody here is named like Bob Smith and they're like, well, my name is Bob Smith, why would I write a poem about my name? But if your name is Bob Smith, you should definitely write a poem (laughs) about your name, right? Proper names in the lyrics of troubadours. My parents never called me Rowan. I'm Ricky from Ricardo, but not Ricky Ricardo. I'm also the first Phillips in my family. My mother decided Philip, my father's family name, sounded too much like a first name, in America at least. Rowan Philip would lead inevitably to Philip Rowan. That was her story, and she's sticking to it. For the record, that's an Old Norse first name, a Spanish middle name, and one of those faux English, faux Dutch sounding last names that's really Greek for lover of horses. Rowan Ricardo. Another of those names that straddle seas in the sails of unseen ships. Still, it sounds typically West Indian to me. And like the West Indies, indefinite. An indefinite noun in an indefinite poem. And it took me a while to accept it. That's the only time I'll do air quotes this evening, I promise. (laughs) Um, So the last poem I'll read from the ground is, um, you know, a a poem that's really um, influenced by its place. It's really important to um, find the right places to write poems, you know, in the peaks of the Green Mountains, or maybe kind of like at the lip of the Mediterranean, or inside a 14th century church, or inside a dance club in Barcelona. This is inside a dance club in Barcelona. It's called Obad Volume Two, The Underground Sessions. And Obad is a, um, it's a a lover's song that laments the coming of day, because of course day means you've got to get out of bed and kind of like leave what you've been up to. The most famous one is probably Romeo and Juliet. You know, they finally get to spend some time together, then the sun's coming up and they're all salty about it. Orbad, volume two, The Underground Sessions. The sun is a sequence of flash and din in the sunken clubs, slanted black ceilings. And where once the crowds were mere pent peacocks, twiddling half-chatoyances, shimmers in the dark, now only the dancers remain. The DJ rubs the mood of the room as though it were his womb. We dance, we ripple in place. The twin black lakes of vinyl blend, stirred to life by the dip needle. No one I know knows the real ends of when. What? No one I know knows the real end of when. What? No one I know knows for real when to end. Again, no one I know knows for real when to end. What? No one I know knows the real end of when. What? No one I know knows the real ends of when. And when we thought we'd reached the end, it was remixed again. No one I know knows for real when to end. As when a drinking collared deer hears a noise, and although safe by being Caesar's, Feel the strange freedom there in that second. Some sense in the gut, a thunder of ribs, a surge in the blood, some cinched memory of not being Caesar's. I change in the sameness of change. I embrace the night and get gone. So. Um, and then I'm just going to read a couple of poems from heaven. Uh, I haven't taken this poem out in a long time, but there's so many artists here, and I've really enjoyed meeting so many of you. So um, I'm going to read this poem. It's been a long time. Since I looked at this poem. Um, my favorite line in, in Ginsberg's Howl is the line, "This actually happened." It's just kind of like snuck in there. Um, but like most of my, well, I think all my poems actually. This actually happened, so. Lucas and Mark. I sit sandwiched between two Chuck closes. Luckless Lucas, made up of small fat dots bursting against black backgrounded colors His unkept hair, unkept beard, unkept stare shot past the small bench between him and Mark. No one in the Met has ever looked more eager to be at the Met than Mark. Every pore and razor scrape happens. His buck-toothed grin, his out of focus neck and shoulders share the running joke of being real with us. Like Buscemi, he has a look of love His union-grade plastic frames reflect lights he alone sees. And now in twos and threes, fans pose with Mark's huge head. The Italian girls, bronze in expensive peasant dresses, throw up peace signs and then blow him kisses. Meanwhile, Lucas, left alone to brood on his side of the room where he is real from a distance instead of the crazed pixels he's revealed to be up close, drops his head onto me as though he knows I'm watching and hopes I know he's really a man. Um, I met a few Angelinos here. <laughs> West side. <laughs> um, so it took me a long time to get to Southern California. Have a lot of friends from the East Bay and, you know, life and work brought me um, to San Francisco and Palo Alto and around there. But it it took me a very long time to get to Southern California. Um, And uh, when I got there, it was the first time that I really kind of had an encounter with the Pacific. And I realized how much, you know, I was born and raised in New York. Uh, I was educated in the Northeast. Uh, My family, all of my family's from the Caribbean You know, the story of my heritage is the African diaspora. Everything that's happened is in the Atlantic and in the Caribbean Sea. So everything's kind of pushed me back. I live half the time in Europe. My wife is from Europe. I have spent lots of time in Europe, but everything has kind of been transatlantic and that's made sense to me. And I've also always been somebody who kind of stares out that way. I've always lived near water. I've always looked either that way, the Atlantic, or the other way. Um, And so when I got to the Pacific, I did what I always do, which is I kind of look out that way. Um And the sense of not getting something back that you could kind of like um, I don't know, kind of like uh, claim through birthright or experience, you know, that it's not yours, that it's not a, a tradition that just has kind of made sense through all the North in- New England and New York and Atlantic coast literature that you've gotten in the history of the Colonial America and all of that, that what comes back to you is something that's um, part of the fabric of your country, but also not yours, that the sea carries that in it, that when your imagination shoots out that way, um, what comes back to your songs that um, deny you that. I wanted to write a little bit about that um, and what it felt like, so Uh, These are my Beatitudes. This is called the Beatitudes of Malibu. Walking across the PCH, we looked up and saw big as the butt of a pen, Jupiter, fat with light and unheightened. I looked back at the waiting traffic stalled at the seaside road's salt rimmed traffic lights as they swayed to the Pacific's not quite anapestic song of sea and air. The raw and sudden creak of crickets, the cars suddenly <coughs> silent as cows, and blue balibu blackening like a bee. A poem is a view of the Pacific and the Pacific and the Pacific taking in its view of the Pacific and the Pacific as the Pacific just like that as though there's no Pacific ends. A poem is the palm of the ocean closing. It or she or he is merely, which means it or she or he is a mar, but a mar made up of temperament and tempo, the red weather in the heart. I'm about to get this all wrong, I know. Santa Monica behind me, the ocean to my left, Jupiter high above me, and Malibu somewhere in my mind, flecked with mist and dusk and dillon and strange grays in the sunsets that stripe the seaside hills like the tricolore of a country made of beauty, the dream of beauty and smog. Sadly, in my mind, it's always snowing, which is beautiful, but austere, unlike here. Along the thin pedestrian passage, beside the PCH, just off sunset, Mel Gibson chants of beginnings and ends and lies and facts, Jews and blacks being both the lies and facts. His face is ruddy like bruschetta, He storms at the police because fuck them. He's wearing his T-shirt like a toga. He schools them his toga wisdom from toga times. He offers them his toga. They offer him a ride. Arun's car carried us like metaphor in a poem or painting. Moving meaning, moving the current, being the current the terse tug of tide, still the great glamour, still even as we speed on the 110, the music in my mind, the Jupiter of the mind's unstemmed Pacific Ocean as it unfurls in the vapor trail of Malibu, fragrant in far off fluorescence, like a nocturnal flower calling you. Then downtown LA and LA Live surged up like marginalia on a newly turned page spangled with bland suggestions, fiery accusations of its own brilliance that descend into indifference. We speed nearer and it grows. We veer and it grows. We park and it grows. Close your eyes. Now look, and it has grown. Yo la quiero. But I should know better. If just because you can smell the injustice in the air. The Pacific encircles me slowly as though it doesn't trust me. Or better said, I only understand it this way by feeling like a stranger at its blue door. The poet with the sea stuck in his enjambments can't call out to some Cathay as though some Cathay exists and be glad. No. The differences we have should be felt and made through that feeling an eclipsed lack, a power to take in what you can't take back. The old hocus of this ocean's focus on pulling its waves over the soft surf, like a skin pulled down tight over the top of a drum was, to her, a new hocus. We stared out with her, out, towards hokasai's tiny boats and rising lace-fringed sea swells no chunk of haiku could think to charter. It was like the eighth day of creation in the eighth line of a poem. She sang, she didn't sing, the sea sang, then stopped. Anyone from Ohio here? Um, This poem is called The Once and Future King of Ohio. It's not about LeBron James. (coughs) The Once and Future King of Ohio. Dawn. Two roosters stud the side of the road. One of them is dead. The other stands there, stiff in the car's sudden breeze staring out across the hilly Ohio highway, skyward towards that something slight of bright reds and pinks. A pallid, rooster-feathered hue, as silent as the rooster standing and as distant as the dead rooster on its side. We drove by, my guide and I, too quickly to know if one rooster was waiting for the other or which had been waiting or if they'd planned to cross the road together when suddenly, something went terribly wrong, either at the end of having crossed it or simply as happens during the wait. The whole Ohio highway seemed to know though. Like the gate of heaven you see at death, as a light or a shining shunning darkness, knows heaven without actually being heaven, being rather just a border, still part of our plausible world of parts living and dead, male and female, color and color, belief and belief. There's really no reason to believe or not to believe what you see when you see it. But when we speed, but when at speed I saw those two roosters trying to figure out what's next for them, as the distances we traveled on the 661 swallowed them whole with wheat. I looked from my passenger seat into the car's rearview mirror and saw nothing that was neither heaven nor Ohio. As the horses stirred and the steeple slept and the state flattened out like a mirror. And am I not a mirror for that mirror? News from the Muse of Not Guilty. He sits in a Hawaiian shirt over a bulletproof vest. Slumped in a beach chair, it's back to the ocean. Even his red wine spritzer tastes like Skittles now. It's the same complaint again and again from him. The taste of things. He only eats food that he can see made. And ever since someone suggested he read Sophocles, and put his faith in justice, their talk of having a child has been awkward. That poor, poor child, he says. To have to watch out for that poor child, he says. That poor child. That poor child. That poor child. That poor child. child." Mirror for the mirror. This night sky won't always be so Rothko. Won't always be something you've seen before. Otherwise, it would always be what it was in sheer separation of is and as. Self separated from self. Self unparadised as though there were a place somewhere at the end of an endless bridge, a continent of light called paradise. Mirror for the mirror. This night sky won't always have a meaning, won't always mean something it's meant before. For if it did, it would always be but merest meaning And how then would I know myself from any self? Myself beached at the sea of my soul as it turns to sing back to this star-seized evening that's unreeling and unreals like paradise. I'm gonna read this from the ground and then um, read some new stuff. Uh, This poem is called Never Again Would Would Birdsong Be the Same It's a title I stole from Robert Frost because I felt like it. Robert Frost is an asshole. I can steal from him (laughs) if i want. Never again would birdsong be the same. Eight floors below our wide open window as early summer sang to early dawn and no breeze blew A car crouched idling under a red traffic light that had spent most of the night with nothing in sight but the rare bus or cab. I only knew the car was there by the boom of its stereo, that sudden sound stirring me from deep sleep. Her face facing mine, my face lost in hers. We'd slept like the lines of a Villanelle, apart, together woven into one. Then I rose and went to the window, how for some reason the mind can't seem to rest until it's seen what it's heard and defines it. And I looked out and down, but the car by then had already pulled away. No sign of it, but for its dragon tail of base. I still wonder if this really happened. If it matters in the greater scheme of things, Is a poem the wonder or the matter? A little later, we started our day, coffee, the paper, a shower. She asked as we Sunday relaxed if I'd slept well. She asked me what I was humming. I stopped. Months passed, then years, and I still have that song in my head like a bees swarm burring through the skull and finding there my old self, which now feels as though it once knew and loved the city more in that rare heavenly moment that it and I were one. Just as Wu-Tang is here forever, cracked the dawn and swerving swallows raptured in old Dirty's voice, yeah. Old Dirty Bastard, a.k.a. Dirt McGirt, a.k.a. Isan Unique, ODB, Specialist, The Dead One. So, um, keeping with this idea of, you know, keeping poem in very sacred places, A chateau on the hills of Mont Blanc. A cabin right at the foot of Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, This poem takes place in a cell phone shop. (laughs) Mortality Ode. Waiting in the cellular store like waiting for bread. We see two NYC police officers pull up, casually, one behind the other. Two officers enter, two wait outside. One struts up and stops a few feet from the counter and leans forward like a dark blue crane. The person at the front of the line, over whose shoulder he makes concrete the coarse abstraction of his presence, doesn't turn. The woman behind the counter asks the officer for his name, which begins with, officer she tells him he's in the system now she'll call him when it's his turn to make himself comfortable the other officers come in then they begin fidgeting with the phones on display and talk about those things they feel they can talk about suddenly public in their public service hemmed in with the rest of us cut off from communication worldless I have no idea how much time has passed now. I don't have my phone. Well over an hour. I feel a creeping hunger. Anyway, one of them breaks away from the conversation for another compulsory round of seeming like he has something to do. Grim-wasted, he dawdles past the digital tablets and begins testing the weight of oversized smartphones and smartphones small enough to fit in a watch, his right hand hip high and resting on the pimpled black blunt end of his piece as he walks like all of them, unbalanced but propped up by strange gravity visible, a monochrome unearned elegance. He orbits us, curious for a moment about his future, about what will be in his hand when it's not reaching into a holster, when he checks the weather and wonders what in the world to wear. I watch him pass by the inventory on display twice, before he slowly strides over to the glass window in the back corner of the store where a solitary engineer tinkers with unresponsive hardware that clings to life. He leans forward like his partner did, as though he is learning something or remembering something or being someone, learning something or remembering something, his right hand lifting from the dead metal and meeting his left on the blue ledge of the swing door, shut tight just below the window, locking his fingers together elbows akimbo, his badge now caught on the edge like a wedge, and then, just as it looked like his nose might touch the glass, the guy who's been helping me, who disappeared to those mysteries of the back, the shells of stock, bouquets of crumbled stuff, the Shangri-La of the Staff John, emerges from an unseen door and asks the officer if he could pass. Sure, the officer says, and the brother makes a beeline to me. My phone is finally ready, he says. It took a while to transfer all the content to the upgrade, lots of data, but I'm all set now, he says. I turn the phone on, the black screen ignites, singing a single held passion note, a pretense of life, then stops, revealing my home screen. Everything I had before looks up at me now from the sleek mirage of short-lived newness, short-lived lightness, but it's pretty though. True that, thanks. The officers are reunited now. Huddled like gum, close-knit but silent, their wall mended. I open my phone's camera to sneak a picture of them because it's four cops in a cell phone store. (laughs) I lift my phone nowhere near their direction as though I'm simply testing its weight while straining, subtly to center them in the aim. The blurs flame, then suddenly flare, come into focus when the guy who's been helping me without looking up from his monitor, his hands still resting on his keyboard, like hands holding the end of a net, asks me, his voice quick as a Camaro, if I think I want protection. Because you never know. You never, ever. The Lunatic, The Lover, and The Poet. And after the explosion made spheres sing a pure expression of pure poetry, like rising rain or a nation without a flag, something that whispers as the air does just before the lightning comes. A pure expression of the breaks in the blank lakes of Neptune's moons a ruined expression of pure poetry, a pure expression of ruined poetry, either will do. A pure expression of pure poetry in the podcasts of the pine trees will do. We will say we do not want it because we will say we do not want it because. A pure expression of pure poetry that boiled in the blur of the first atom. There's a screen to tell you what pleasure is, who pleasure is, when pleasure is, and why. You hold it in your hand and feel all things as though the sheer unseen rings of Neptune, blue-hued, were spinning there in your hand. It's not that you love it, it's that you love. And to stand there or sit there, to simply be, this is hard. to look across from you where another or nothing and both may or may not be. This is hard. This is hard because you love and have learned not to love. Sure, you say you love X because you should, but you also say hate like you say what? You hate Mondays just like you hate that show, just like you hate squash, just like you hate this poem. Hate, hate. Hate, 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 hate happy in the doorway of you and someone else. Look up from this poem and you will see the long work of chaos and order cooled into this perceivable form of life. Something manageable from the bow shock where the end of the earth's influence bends like a bow of light across the awful endlessness of the ever cold ether the long work of chaos and order plunged into something else that is plugged into something else that is plugged into the air. You play Kevin Bacon with it until it bends like the first flare of plasma bent, a pure expression of pure poetry. The world is on fire. I see you across a moving haze of invisible flames that blurs the bruised mind to melisma. The scream is closer, the magma sky too. A man hauls crate after crate of rifles into a hotel. A child is shot dead on the spot as he plays with a toy gun in a park. Some small town lawyer calls the melting world a myth and yet believes in prayer, that God hears and cares for him and somehow amidst 13 billion years of stars to care for has time for his shit. What's the difference if not love? And where did it all go so, so wrong? I remember you, nose to nose in the bang, holding on. Just gonna read two more poems. Thank you for your patience. And now take some questions, right? Violins. He never saw a violin, but he saw a lifetime of violence. This is not to presume that if he had simply seen a violin, he would have seen less violence. Or that living among violins, as though they were boulangeries or toppling stacks of other glazed goods like young adult fiction would have made the violence less crack and more cocaine less of course and more why god oh why more of one thing doesn't rhyme with one thing a swill of stars doesn't rhyme with star a posse of poets doesn't rhyme with poet we're all in prison This is the lesson, the brutal lesson of the 21st century. Swilled like a sour stone through the vein of the beast who watches you while you eat. Our eternal host, the chummed fiddler, the better tomorrow, 2016. As you know, I have kids. Um, you know the world's overpopulated and overrun by assholes. I added two more people to the world, so you know Nurdia and I. Are, our goal is just to make sure they're not assholes, <laughs> and the rest right. will take care of itself. You know. <laughs> so, for any of the parents in the audience, I have no advice for you, but just know that's my parenting goal and my one parent can go, aside from keeping them alive. Don't be assholes. Morality ode. Oh, wait, I read that one. Such an asshole. <laughs> Would not it be funny if I don't have this poem here and I really want to read this? Oh, oh, I don't have it. That is hysterical. That's a sign. All right. So instead of reading that, oh, I do have it. Good. (laughs) I do have it. All right. Thanks for your patience. Don't forget to tip the bellhop on the way out. Dark Matter Ode. You'll say you can't remember. You were too young, that the idea wasn't yours. Or maybe you'll feel the need to feel misunderstood and say, you don't understand. You don't understand, you don't. But I was there when the sky closed. I know that brief darkness feels good. That God works on no sleep, as certain as prayer sleep reclining in your lampshade, sweet, rare sleep, who never knows sleep. His song swells in my wrists as they hang on your crib, leaning in, inspecting you like a crook. I am the poet in his pillory. I sing you as free, I sing of the wood, and I sing of the bars. I am the dunce of the stars who sings of the bars. Poets, no time is a dead man walking. We are all the terrorist Tichborne. I love that you sleep so softly despite the virus of my verbal flailings flowing through your veins. One day, you will be facing it the reflective black immensity of it all and you will seethe and set out into a world of science and anger that I just can't imagine. Today won't matter to you because today to you won't be by then today, which went like this. There was the IMAX movie about dark matter and the protests about how black lives matter. But then for you, the same sleep and then a million years from now, somewhere, discovering that something like this one moment could have happened, could have mattered. That you, asleep in your crib, were a god in the machine. And that poem your father wrote you was a fucking living weapon. Thank you very much,